0: Welcome to Sophos Security Chet Chat number two hundred and six for the seventh of July, two thousand fifteen. It's John Shire again, sitting in for Chester as he's taking a well-deserved break. Uh, joining me again this week, and as usual, is uh, Paul Ducklin. Good day, Paul.
1: Hello, John. How are you doing to this fine post-Canada Day podcast day?
0: I'm doing very well. The weather is truly in the midsummer mode as the uh, temperature is climbing. It's, it's lovely to be outside, but sometimes not for too long. So to kick it off this week, I'd like to talk about probably the most commented on and most popular post on Naked Security, which is that of the
1: Windows 10 Wi-Fi Sense feature. Oh boy, has that got a lot of people interested, excited, but unfortunately worried at the same time. Indeed it does. And so, you know, there, there's
0: a few things that we need to discuss with respect to this feature. And uh, I think the first one, which maybe, you know, we might be getting our, ahead of ourselves a little bit in the story, but I think is, is important, is, is that of the whole opt-out, opt-in discussion, right? Microsoft seems to be taking the approach that if you do not want to participate in this new feature, uh, you're going to have to opt out of it. Uh, and, you know, when it comes to things dealing with security, this is not always a good idea.
1: Yes, just to be clear, you can turn it off on your Windows phone or on Windows 10. My understanding is it's on by default, but you don't have to have the Wi-Fi Sense client enabled. But because there's no Wi-Fi Sense protocol, if you like, between the client side and anybody's wireless access point, maybe that will come in a year's time, but there isn't at the moment. The only way that your access point can signal to the world at large that you do not want to be part of any Wi-Fi sense auto-connecting network attempts is to put underscore opt out into your network name, which just seems the wrong way to do it. Um, unfortunately, I can understand why Microsoft doesn't want to do that. Uh, it's very unlikely that anyone would opt in because it requires a bit of effort. But it does seem to be a recipe for over-sharing your access point or for over-connecting to other people's given the way it works both with open access points where your device will automatically jump online and automatically agree to terms and conditions, and also when you share your access point, perhaps inadvertently sharing it with a much broader set of people than you intended. For example, your friends on Facebook.
0: Well, that's just it. So there are sort of two aspects to this Wi-Fi sense thing that we need to to take into account, and and you, you sort of touched on both of them. What Microsoft is attempting to do, especially as you mentioned with those open access points that may have a captive portal aspect to it, where you at least have to agree to a set of terms and conditions and carry on, uh, this is going to do away with that, which doesn't sit very well with with me anyway. And then there's the other side of the story, which is the the piece where you know if you do have a password protecting your network, uh, you can. St- Still share that with people you trust, but as you mentioned, maybe share it with a broader audience. Now, in the past, if I wanted to cut you out from that particular arrangement, then I simply would just change my password on my network, and then that'd be it. You wouldn't be able to get back on. But in this particular technology, that's no longer an option because you will get my password anyway.
1: Actually, If we assume that Microsoft has done the cryptography and how it manages things in memory correctly, the good part of this is you will not get my password. The problem is that there's an option that makes it really easy for me to say, oh, just add all my Facebook friends, my Outlook.com contacts, my Skype contacts to the list of people who are allowed to connect to my network, albeit that they don't know my password.
0: Yeah, and that's just it. I think there's just not enough detailed information about this particular feature yet for us to make any concrete recommendation. There's still some murky bits that uh, tend to make those security minded folks wary of the implementation. In another story that involves passwords, uh, this time it's MasterCard who seems to be shouting the passwords are dead mantra from the rooftops. They're set to start trialing a new method of authenticating purchases. By scanning your face, it would appear. And so we're again left with this problem of you know, using biometrics. What is the fidelity of the actual sensor taking the biometrics? How can this be spoofed? And as we've seen time and time again, it, the answers usually uh, are that it's a little too easy to spoof these biometrics.
1: Well, we've certainly seen that with the fingerprint readers in both Apple and Samsung phones, haven't we? So yes, there does seem to be a problem with basic biometrics. The flip side of that is, as one of the commenters on Naked Security pointed out, it's hard to see how this is worse than the current situation we have for most card-not-present transactions where we're sort of relying on a 16-digit number and three digits printed on the back of your card. Uh, So in a way, also checking a selfie, you could argue that it can't make things easier for the crooks. Uh, On the other hand, I guess it could give a false sense of security if you think that it actually raises the bar, but it turns out there's an easy way to get around it.
0: It is a very limited release. So 500 UK customers at only two of the major banks in the UK will actually be testing this out. Yeah, it remains to be seen um, whether facial recognition is the next thing uh, that'll reduce credit card fraud or not. So, Paul, do you remember Heartbleed?
1: Something that probably called us caused a rather agitated week for most sysadmins out there. And I believe it's
0: also the progenitor of the now uh, legion-strong number of vulnerabilities that have their own names, logos, websites, and PR agencies.
1: Yes. Uh, once we'd had Heartbleed, with the bleeding heart, of course. Then we had Log, Jam, Shell, Shock, Freak, Venom, Poodle, and uh, and a vulnerability called Hamlet, Prince of Denmark, believe it or not. I did see that in the
0: article, although that uh, is indeed a fictional vulnerability, but...
1: Hey, if anyone wants it, I open source it as a vulnerability name. There was a sword thrust through the Arras. Polonius got stabbed through the curtain. So you can imagine that's a little bit like trying to do a buffer overflow where you don't quite know where you're aiming. So maybe there is a metaphor in there waiting to get out.
0: However tortured that metaphor, let's talk about... Gee, thanks,
1: John. I was just getting going there. (laughs) <laughs> yeah.
0: Let's talk about the story about Amazon and uh, what they're doing to address uh, heartbleed of sorts. Sierra two November. That's correct. Maybe you can uh, give our listeners a bit of a sort of Coles Notes, as they call it in the US, recap of uh, what heartbleed was and uh, how it actually was a big problem.
1: Well, heartbleed was a bug that didn't that allowed a crook to learn something about what your server was doing without having to break into your network at all. Basically, you made what's called a TLS heartbeat request, and that's where heartbleed came into the name, and you said, "Are you still alive, dear server? If so, send back this message that I just sent to you, which also of course proves that the encryption still working because you get the same message back." Oh, and by the way, the message is 6 bytes, 10 bytes, 15 bytes long or whatever. Uh, but it turns out that due to a bug in OpenSSL, you could actually send it a keep-alive message. Uh, but instead of saying, "Oh, by the way, there are six characters in my message," you could say, "Oh, there's 64 kilobytes in my message," and the server would reply with your six bytes and just close to 64 k of whatever was lying around in memory nearby at the time. And so, by doing this over and over and over again, you got you could get these sort of passing, tantalizing glimpses of what was going on on the server. So, it was the, a bad sort of bug because anybody could trigger it pretty much all of the time. So, it caused quite a panic and a lot of interest in having some choice and having alternative implementations of TLS or what we used to call SSL.
0: Yeah, that's right. So, Libre SSL and Boring SSL being two of the other options, and now the S2N implementation of the SSL TLS protocol.
1: There is a bit of a difference though with the Amazon one in that boring SSL and Libra SSL from Google and OpenBSD respectively was basically a reworking of the OpenSSL code base. Amazon stuff only implements the SSL part, the TLS part. It doesn't actually do the underlying cryptographic primitives. And the big irony there is uh, the easiest way to provide the cryptographic primitives for Amazon's new S2N is to use OpenSSL and to build the cryptographic primitives from it. Or you can use Libra SSL or Boring SSL. But nevertheless, if you think about Heartbleed, it wasn't actually a bug in the underlying cryptography. It was actually a flaw in how it was used in the TLS protocol. So good on Amazon for coming to the party, I guess. Actually, John, while we're talking about hacking, that reminds me of an article that I was interested in on Naked Security, but I couldn't dig any further into because I live outside North America, so I'm geo-blocked from looking at this stuff. There's apparently a new kind of cyber hacking thriller series on North American TV called Mr. Robot, which is... Surprising by the fact that, from a technical point of view, it's not half bad. Is that correct?
0: Have you watched it? I have actually, and uh, I've seen the, the first two episodes in the series. And yeah, it, it for once I wasn't sitting there cringing at uh, you know the, the the technology terms or even
1: the visuals that were being presented. Oh, like the famous Jurassic Park. Oh, I know that. It's Unix. <laughs>
0: That or being able to take down a an alien operating system with a simple power book, as in Independence Day.
1: So, uh, yes, how cyber dramas have come along, eh? Instead of worrying about aliens attacking and then taking them down with a pre-OS10 operating system, we're actually worried about the hackers amongst us. Maybe that shows that we have grown up a little bit.
0: It, it is, yeah, and it's an interesting story. It, it does involve you know, a, a fairly, I guess, convoluted plot line in terms of uh, you know I'll try to avoid some spoilers but in, in terms of you know the, there's an that is an evil corporation there is a a security company that that has a, a hacker with sort of an ethical dilemma on his hands on on you know which which side to, to, to play on you've got this sort of underground shadow hacking group um, so it, it's got all of those sort of you know tropes that we we do see in in fiction around the hacking world and the technological world, but I think for now, after the first couple of viewings, you know the the people, the showrunners are doing a fairly good job of presenting the technology faithfully and uh, and and not doing you know, a, a la CSI cyber sort of you know solving everything in one episode. There's more of a protracted storyline where things are going to develop over time, and much like the stuff that we deal with every day, you know, you don't walk into A room one day and go oh my god heart bleed and in 45 minutes you've got it all patched and everybody rubs their hands together
1: and and goes off and does something else the problem for me with a lot of these cyber drama stories is that because each episode sort of has to have a beginning middle and end as you say it does create this idea that each cyber threat we face is very strictly circumscribed uh you know i just did a podcast recently a techno podcast with chester on his talk called When Penguins Attack. We're looking at the the role of Linux in distributing malware. And the research he did for that, where he actually measured which sort of operating system, what sort of attack was coming from, was based on just one week of brand new infectious URL data from Sophos Labs. And yet in that week, he had a sample size of 178,000 URLs if you got too hung up on any one of those you'd have a you know 177999 building up outside the dike that you were hiding behind there are going to be some parts of an attack which are more important and you need to focus on those but you can't drop everything else and just go you know rushing after the one guy i guess that's why lots of cops don't like cop shows very much as well everything gets neatly wrapped, wrapped up and the bad guys get prosecuted, and they all go to prison. And there's very little paperwork.
0: I think the same can be said for any profession that's being dramatized. Uh, you know, the, the, those in the profession are probably going to find ways to nitpick. But uh, the bottom line is, you know, this is a it's a good show. It's well acted. That the, the lead character is uh, is played very uh, convincingly and well by um, uh, Remy Malik. And uh, you know, I, I think uh, if if they draw the storyline properly, I think it could be uh, one to watch.
1: Well, if it makes people a little more aware of the need to take cybersecurity seriously, but also gives them an idea that the good guys can win sometimes, uh, then I'm all for it.
0: And I think that's a great takeaway. If it popularizes our industry in a a positive way that encourages people to take it more seriously and act on it, then uh, yeah, I'm all for it as well. So uh, we're going to finish off with one last item, which is that of the uh, Sophos store.
1: Not trying to be commercial here. This isn't where you go to buy our products or spend vast amounts of money. If there's somebody in IT who's done you a little bit of a favor, recovered you all those spreadsheets you deleted by mistake that would have thrown everything into disarray for your presentation to your manager the next day, you can at least say thanks in a little bit of a fun way. Maybe you can buy him for a mere two US dollars a sysadmin is in the house laptop sticker. Or my favorite, for those about to code, we salute you.
0: To lightly paraphrase ACDC, rock on. And with that, I will conclude Sophos Security Checklist chat, chat number 206.
1: Oh, hang on. Just before you do that, shop.sophos.com. And yes, that is HTTPS. So uh, you will get a secure connection when you come to buy.
0: With that, I will conclude Sophos Security Chetlist Chat number two hundred and six. For this and other security news, please find us at nakedsecurity.sophos.com. For our podcast, you can find us on iTunes uh, via an RSS feed, on the TuneIn app, or at SoundCloud.com/sophossecurity. And until next time, stay secure.